In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to say welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we teach and talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. Your hosts today are Doug Barry and myself, Father Justin Braun, and today we're joined by Mr. Robert Pushouts, the Stabat Mater Art Fellow for the St. Philip Institute of Catechesis and Evangelization. We're extremely glad to have you with us today, Robert. Glad to be and here. We look forward to really diving into this big, beautiful topic of beauty and evangelization, and uh, we know that we can't cover everything. Uh, we're going to just probably start to scratch the surface and hopefully in future episodes bring you back and talk more about this. But before we get into it, I just want to give you a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listening audience. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm the Stabamater Art Fellow for the St. Philip Institute, and I came on board with the St. Philip Institute uh, about a year and a half ago to really just to create sacred art and religious works for the diocese and beyond. Um, I get uh, commission from the bishop himself, and then we install those things into parishes, um, and we also uh, sell some of the artworks. We also sell prints and things like that. But we're really trying to back up this work of teaching the faith with beauty and with art, and uh, I'm just a part of that. So. Yeah, well, it's a it's a great joy. I know I've had the chance to work with Robert um, and creating some art uh, where I just said, there's some ideas, and then he actually did the work, and it turned out beautifully <laughs> to Dorn's, uh, our campus ministry chapel here in Tyler at Redemptoris Mater. And um, Robert's work uh, can be seen uh, on the website, stphilipinstitute.org, and we'll talk a little bit more of that, about that at the end of the show. But uh, I want to just kind of first begin with Doug and Robert and all of you um, to get an idea of where we're trying to go in this conversation this afternoon. We're going to talk a little bit about beauty broadly, you know, to really talk about the sublime, to talk about um, what beauty is, a little bit about what it isn't. Um, we want to really jump into specifically the role of beauty in evangelization and bringing the good news to the world. Um, and finally, just what that actually looks like, like how does it practically look, and then how, how can we kind of aid that that adventure. Um, and we're probably going to, I'm guessing, chase some rabbits down some rabbit holes. We'll try to get it always back on course. Uh, our listening audience is very patient, but uh, we want to really just dive in off the top by understanding beauty at a, at a personal level. Um, a lot of people ask me, what's beautiful to you? And, and I can point at something and say that's beautiful and uh, maybe hear something and say that's beautiful. Uh, but I was curious for you gentlemen, you know, Doug, what, what your first experience of beauty that you really can remember? Well, I guess uh, two things come to my mind right away when it comes to beauty in my life. Number one, God. Number two, my wife. <laughs> my wife, is that a good thing to say as a husband? That's a good thing. Okay, yeah, yeah all right. Uh, but seriously, uh, I'm, I'm serious about that. But I, I've never been crazy about the term beauties in the eye of the beholder. Mm. Um, I understand when it comes to this person's attractive, this person, they think they're cute, they think they're handsome, whatever it may be. I get that. But beauty is written on the heart and the soul, uh, and there's something about beauty kind of setting us free and liberating us from certain things, and I know that that's that maybe a deep thought, you know, how does beauty liberate us? Well, there's something about a deep breath you can take when you look at a sunset, when you look at a mountain range, when you look at snow falling, provided you're inside in front of the fireplace. Hmm. You know, there's there's something about the beauty of certain things in nature, certain things in, in, a, in, a, in a child, uh, you know, I've been blessed to, to you know, have five children and, and now grandchildren and the beauty in holding a child, the beauty in the laughter. And everybody recognizes this when you, you see a child laughing, especially if you're, you're, you're connected to that child in some way through family. Uh, you know, it's your, it's your child, it's your grandchild, it's a niece, a nephew, whatever it may be. 
and you just you uncontrollably smile, you uncontrollably mm. respond. So beauty to me, you know, my first impression is there's, it's it's like an unwritten something on the heart that we're just created for. We respond to. It's like 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 you breathe in oxygen. You need that to survive. Well, beauty does something to the heart and the soul on a, on another level. Um, I mean, that's kind of my initial reaction yeah, to your question, no, Father. Is, is that's just, what we're looking for. It's in us. It's yeah. just in us. St. Paul, in his letter to Romans in uh, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, talks about this, uh, this reality that, that God has written on our heart, and it's a way in which we, we know him is through the created order. Mm-hmm. And, and you're making allusions to natural wonders that bring about mm-hmm. that, that, that sense of God's presence. So just turn to you real quick, Robert. Uh, sure. Maybe you can recall that first wow moment of beauty in your life. Well, I think it's interesting that uh, Doug mentioned natural beauty because uh, a lot of the art that we have within the church uh, expressly depicts God as creator um, several times with a compass or he's the or- He's the person who orders the universe. So um, we look to natural beauty in order uh, and, and we're able to discover the order that God has placed there. Um, just through looking through our experience, looking at natural beauty, one of the and that leads to my uh, you know probably the first experience of uh, the sublime was going out tra- and traveling out west with my family, mm. uh, standing at uh, Painters Point, I believe in Yellowstone Park. It's this huge, massive canyon with this waterfall that literally looks like a painting. <laughs> So, and, so uh, why, why would it be called Painter's Point? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, me- that, several yeah. painters yeah. have painted there. I'm sure some have fallen and died there. Oh, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that was one of the first times where I was just overwhelmed by the immensity of God's creation. And... Uh, that's something that happens also within the great works of art as well uh, that we see within the church. If you go to St. Peter's in Rome, I mean, it's just an overwhelming experience. And that's exactly the experience that we need in front of God, the sublime. Yeah, that's uh, I think all, all three of us probably connect on that supernatural level, obviously, of, of our faith, but also that sublime that that word itself like that, that draws us out of ourselves and draws us into this transcendental you can talk about the, the three transcendentals of truth beauty and goodness but uh we we focusing on beauty we we have a, a natural draw as doug alluded to 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 a, appreciate it and uh talking with robert a little bit before we got started I, you know i'm a kid from east texas pine trees and you know green grass is my it's my cup of tea uh, <laughs> really you know a, a lake's all right a river's okay but uh, my mom's family's from california so when i was a kid uh, the first time i can really recall getting to the ocean getting to the pacific ocean and just staring at the what looked like infinity uh, is, mm-hmm. is there, is, you know is there something on the other side mm-hmm. where does this all go but just thinking to my you know little seven-year-old self like man, this is awesome. And, and from that, you know, bore out uh, over the course of my lifetime now, you know, pretty regular trips to the ocean. Probably some little kid standing on the shore in Japan looking towards the U.S. saying, I wonder if there's anything else. Right, right. And then, and then you, you look at a globe and you're like, gosh, there's there's so much out there. But yeah. there's, a, yeah, there's that draw that we have, and then we, we put it in the context of, what does this do to me as a human? You know, mm-hmm. and and Saint John Paul II um, wrote letters to artists uh, yep. that are for any artist out there, for really any, anybody. I would encourage you to to look at this to see the way that this saintly pope in his lifetime and, and a lifetime of beauty in, in a certain way continued to go back to that theme uh, and and wanted to kind of help us rediscover what beauty truly is. So, Robert, I want to kind of turn to you specifically sure. and just. Talk a little bit about what you've read in JP2, what, what that inspiration you've seen in your own life as an, art, uh, an artist in the church. Well, I think uh, one of the things that J- John Paul II talks about in his letter to the artist is that art 
or beauty is really the splendor of the truth. There's a lot of definitions about out there about what beauty is. Mm. And quite frankly, there's still a lot of argument about whether it's a transcendental or not. And you can get caught, caught up in all this stuff. But to me, <clears throat> uh, when you think about this, you know, working definition of the splendor of the truth, what it what it's talking about is this kind of radiation of uh, of what is before you. Um, so uh, there's a radiance of the form. Uh, there's when you see a great work of art, uh, it just overwhelms you. It glows. It's it, there's something that attracts you to it. So uh, I think that's one of the one of the things that we can notice when when we are in front of the beautiful. Mm-hmm. Can there can there be, um, in your opinion, Robert, kind of a like I like the beauty, true beauty. There's some correlation to to the spiritual mm-hmm. in the sense that um, you know one of my I think favorite quotes is the corruption of the best is the worst. Mm-hmm. That if the heart the soul isn't ordered right, you know, in God's dis- the way God designs and such, we can I mean we can lose the appreciation of beauty. But all yeah. of a sudden, someone could walk into a beautiful cathedral that has paintings from the 15th century, and while someone who might be ordered because of a prayer life and a sacramental life and a scripture life, they can walk in and just not be able to speak. They're so right. overwhelmed by the beauty of it. But someone who becomes disordered through sin and so forth, can they walk into a situation like that and and not find beauty in it, but be be almost, I don't want to say maybe not repulsed, but while they could be overwhelmed by the, the talent, mm-hmm. it doesn't touch them on the same level. So does beauty have a connection? And, you know, Father, you too, as, as the priest here, does beauty in, in you guys, in you gentlemen's mind, have a connection to whether or not the soul is ordered at the time? Oh, absolutely. Is and uh, I know that wasn't in the notes, but I decided to throw that in there. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with that because, um, because if we're going with this is the splendor of the truth, it, has, it pertains to our intellect as well. So... Um, the first time I walked into St. Peter's, I had no idea what was going on. It was totally <laughs> overwhelming. As I studied those works of art, I actually grew in appreciation of the beauty that was before me. Mm. And this is why you can always go deeper into um, studying works of art, studying uh, studying nature and finding the beauty and the order in nature and works of art um, at an even deeper level. Because I think about that with regards to, like, you know, there's a story, my friend Eric Jenis, who is a classical musician who is phenomenally talented, but also deeply a spiritual man, would tell the story of when when Michelangelo, I always keep saying St. Michelangelo, St. Michael the Archangel, <laughs> Michelangelo, yeah, that's how it works. Anyway, Michelangelo was painting the Sistine Chapel, and he had a friend come in and look at the work that he had done at one point. And the friend said, wow, this is incredible. You are so talented. This is magnificent what you're doing here. And went on and on about it. And after the band left, Michelangelo whitewashed a lot of it and started over. Mm-hmm. And when the man came back in at later at another at another date, why did you do that? He said, because I didn't want you to look at my work as something that was a talent on my part necessarily. I wanted you to look at it and have an encounter with God. Mm-hmm. That he was looking at his talent as a means and the beauty of art as a means to try to connect us to something more beautiful, more powerful. St. Francis of Assisi did that in many ways with regards to the beauty of nature. He would see all of nature, and he would find the connection to God, mm-hmm. even through the natural beauty yeah. there. So I just, I guess my, my, my thought on this is the spiritual connection to the natural beauty, to the recognition, even intellectually, there has to be something there, and that we can, we can pervert that and skew that if we fall out of grace, and then we don't recognize beauty for what it is. Yeah. And then we start getting some of the as an artist you know this things that that's called that is called art. Yes. And you're wondering, you know, what third grader painted that? Right. And they call it some beautiful like band-aid or the banana taped to the wall. Right. Remember that yeah. recently. Yeah. And and this is considered art. And and how did we get there unless the mind and the soul become somewhat disordered? I mean, does that make sense? I mean, oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Truth, beauty and goodness like there's there's a intimate connection that we would see between these these three transcendentals and to be in a state of grace to be doing good it's easier and more you receive it more effectively when you're living right order you're able to as even robert's alluding to with your intellectual depth you're able as you're living a good life to more deeply enjoy Mm. the fruits of beauty so there's a sense of pleasure that's rightly ordered that comes from the experience of beauty and and that's you know it's a challenge because we as you alluded to there, there's a lot of 
banal and mundane art. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that's just not art. We can't yeah. stop, stop calling it that. Right, just call right. it what it is. But, but that kind of goes back to this working definition, this struggle that we have with, uh, you know, talking about the radiance, that there's a unity to beauty. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to get back to you a little bit, Robert, with this working definition, but something about it that is whole mm-hmm. um, and, and that is not disordered. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of throw it back to you just a little bit more on that working definition, but how you see these things in the work you've been doing and how it affects you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, just to, um, real quick, just go back to Doug's point on, um, on w- why do we have, uh, why do we have so many, uh, how, how do we see so many ugly things today? I just wanted to point out that, I think part of this is because of this, the disorder of a society or a culture. We see a lot of the wiping out or the taking out of beautiful objects out of the churches, out of uh, out of the art culture itself, was due to um, a, a lot of it had had to do with the the world wars. Mm-hmm. After that, art um, they took the figure out of art mm-hmm. and started going more abstract. Um, because people were disillusioned by humanity, um, and so <clears throat> it's and and you can notice that after the years of the World War, that's right when abstract expressionism started taking the forefront. There was a um, so. Um, do you mind reminding me of? That's what okay. You were yeah, mentioning? no, it's it, this all kind of gets back into the 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 lack of wholeness and unity. Okay, you unity. Know, ab- yep. Abstract. Can you say any abstract art is truly unified? Well, maybe. Oh, absolutely. Act, um, abstraction is just a quality of, I, th- I think, a, of how our mind works. So it's an intellectual thing. So uh, I see most artwork, I mean, all artwork is abstract, really. It's um, But the unity is the way in which we put those abstract elements back together. So um, when we even appropriate an idea into our head, into our mind, we have to take in sensory information, we abstract it, we play around with the ideas, and then we reassemble it. And I see the work of an artist as the exact same thing, is we're taking outside information, we're reappropriating it, we're ordering it towards its proper end. So in in, uh, sacred art, for instance, you know, we're not only, I personally just don't just take the visual information, but I'm taking in the, uh, I'm taking in spiritual ideas, um, things that we know that are revealed by God, um, and then ordering that into a proper piece of art. Yeah, there's a, there's an idea in, in Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. really, he was writing as, as Joseph Ratzinger that, uh, I think captures in a a powerful way, just a quote I'm going to read real quick, uh, this idea of how art really forming us uh, and and understanding how truthfully to get back to, you know, we're talking about beauty and art as a whole, as a culture, we've got to kind of understand the foundation of what beautiful art comes from. So this is from the spirit of the liturgy. He said, A clear distinction was made between liturgical music and religious music in general, just as visual art in the liturgy has to conform to different principles from those employed in religious art in general. Art in the liturgy has a very specific responsibility, and precisely as such does it serve as a wellspring of culture, which in the final analysis owes its existence to cult. And what Ratzinger is kind of alluding to in that is that from the beauty of the cult, the worship or in a, that's present in a community of persons, you will see it reflected in the culture itself. And so you, you, know, you can look historically and see you know, the ancient Near East, the, the East, um, the, the West and Roman and, and Greek history, where did the great works of architecture and sculpture and visual art and even aural art, you know, music, where did it come from? It came from worship. 
it came out of the cult of the worshiping people and having a a sense that when you lose sight of that your your the effect is that the culture around you reflects that lost vision and so mm-hmm. um, thinking about you know as much as I love America, I think early in American history, we still had a, we had a sense of ourselves as kind of a renaissance culture and a, a culture that wanted to look back at the great cultures of history and, and capture some of that spirit. And so mm-hmm. you see that in some of the, the architecture, the Washington Monument, this great obelisk that stands 500-something feet in the air, um, the Lincoln, you know, the Lincoln uh, Memorial there, and, and different art around D.C., um, but then you think about, okay, let's fast forward 200 years later. What is the modern uh, culture reflecting? Well, we build a new sports stadium every couple of years, and 7-Eleven has some new branding every couple of months so that, that they can stay relevant. But it, it points to a culture <laughs> points to a culture that maybe is not rooted in cult, not rooted really in worship, but a cult or, or a culture rather rooted in its own devices. And so Ratzinger's thesis here is that when we recover a sense of the cult, we recover a sense of culture. Um, so, you know, I want to give us some time to kind of explore that mm-hmm. that conversation because mm-hmm. that's part of what we really want to understand is how beauty and evangelization are connected. So I, I wanted to ask you guys of a, an experience of beauty, particularly in the liturgy, that, that shaped you or formed you and gave you a, a sense of better connecting this big concept of beauty with the idea of your faith. So, Doug, maybe you got something to throw in here. Uh, music. Okay. The music in the, in, in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is everything to kind of move the heart to prepare and kind of guide through. I know music isn't supposed to be the focus, but when you have, you know, traditionally the choir lofts, for example, it was, number one, it was behind us. It was up high. It carried over the front of the church. Um, it wasn't to the side of the altar. There was no competition. You know, um, as we brought it to the front, moved it to the side, a lot of youth masses, you know, in my travels over the years, taking part in youth events, you know, they bring the drum sets, the electric guitars, and it's to the side of the altar. Mm. And I don't know how anybody really can look at that and see that there isn't a competition going on here to the average person on a natural level. Um, There's always going to be something more exciting, I always say, about what I can get off my my smartphone, I can go check out videos from when Michael Jordan played basketball in the 1990s for the Chicago Bulls and won 72 games one season. And then I've got my rosary in my other hand, and which of the two gives me some of more immediate gratifications, you know, on a sensory level? Well, it's what I can pull up on my phone right away. Mm. Latest, greatest song, latest, greatest this and that. Over here, deep prayer, which, which really requires a deeper labor, an effort on the part of the soul and the mind. Now, in the Mass, the beauty of the Mass for me, that you bring that music, that quality, you put it where it needs to be, you bring just the right tone in, it's there to reinforce, to support, to buttress, so forth, you know, the, the, the principle of what's happening here, this is the, the worship of God, the sacrifice of the Mass, the consecration takes place, our Lord comes to us, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and that music almost becomes in the back of your mind, but it is still reinforcing so powerfully. So to me, the beauty of music properly placed in the liturgy has everything to do with moving the heart, the soul, to focus on what's actually taking place there at the altar when, you know, a priest like yourself, Father, is elevating God yeah. in your hands. <laughs> and I've got to contrast that with I've got a drum set and electric guitar to the side. It, to me, it's just it's so... It's so brutal what we've done mm. by, by, by taking the beauty of music and reducing it to just kind of a sideshow. I don't want to sound so critical. But. No, well, but... Inter- <laughs> Let me tell you how I really feel yeah. about this. <laughs> Entertainment interjects itself into the worship of God all too often. I mean, that's certainly mm. a, a modern criticism even of the, the, the priest as a preacher is mm. that... You know, if his jokes are not hitting the right, ah. you know, uh, the right amount within the context of his seven to ten minute homily that's supposed to unpack the entirety of sacred scripture and the catechism. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Um, <laughs> that, you know, if you don't laugh enough, if you don't frown enough, if you, you're you trying to hit these mm. uh, soft button uh, kind of emotional pulls and, and really you lose sight of, of we're here to worship, as you said, we're here to worship God first and foremost and to be sanctified by the worship we're experiencing. Right. And that's 
that's the again to reinforce that connection of where beauty hits it's beauty is a sanctifying element of the sacred liturgy mm-hmm. and so I, I i think it's so important that we we know this but it, it again it's at a practical level particularly as men sensory you know creatures that we are it really helps us to have that reinforced mm-hmm. in our worship so robert you yeah. you do this for a living mm-hmm. but i'm curious for you you know what was there a time that you walked into a church and you just were like, okay, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Well, on? So tell me about that. Yeah, and just to, you know, contrast what Doug was talking about, there, um, I'm originally from Chicago, and there's a parish out there, St. John Cantius, that uh, really incorporates all this stuff together. They, they emphasize the liturgy. And uh, one of these wow moments was uh, going to their Requiem Mass, on All Souls Day. And the experience of hearing Mozart's Requiem Mass in context in a Latin liturgy where they have a full orchestra behind you, Mm. there's beautiful paintings there. Uh, They have 50 relics in these beautiful decked out reliquaries. Um, It it literally just moved me to tears. and not to mention, like, there's no—it's uh, it's not about the, the priest or any one person in particular. It's about this entire experience of seeing all the beauty, the visuals, the music, and uh, the, the ritual of the liturgy itself, mm-hmm. the altar servers, the, and, the, and the isn't, priest. And isn't something—to interrupt, but isn't that like an—it's an unspeakable moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can't even—you can't even write sometimes what you feel at a moment like that. Right. Something's happening that you just have to— Take in, yeah. Is, is that is that yeah? What absolutely. You, what you're and I and that you know it it brings me to this great quote that I found from uh, um, Ratzinger, um, Pope Emeritus Benedict, uh, in his theology of the liturgy, where it says, "Beauty wounds. The encounter with beauty can become the sound of the arrow that strikes the soul, and it makes us see clearly." So there's these moments where we don't nothing deep there (laughs) way to go pope benedict but those are those moments where it just pure the beauty literally pierces your heart and you you find yourself on the border of your limitations this is beyond me i feel small here Mm. uh when you're looking at those sunsets some sunsets you're like well whatever but some sets some sunsets (laughs) you literally feel like i wish this moment could last forever, but I realize that that I'm I'm not immortal, right. <laughs> or I mean I am immortal, but but this moment is passing. It I cannot capture this moment because the Earth is rotating at so many thousand miles. Per right, time. right. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, you're going but, deeper. I get it. Okay, good for you, Robert. <laughs> Um, but th- those are the moments where you you realize I am small yeah. and God is big. <laughs> God is much <laughs> bigger than me. Um, this is so far beyond me. And the liturgy, and you know, can be used to promote that attitude to to get us outside of ourselves. Yeah, it, it's a interesting thing with talking about the music, talking about the the, the beauty of the visual. The order, uh, as you were alluding to, with uh, a requiem mass and it, you know a, a solemn high mass uh, in the extraordinary form, or a very beautifully and reverently done ordinary form mass. You see the order of the deacon in his proper place, doing his proper actions. The priest doing his proper actions. The people of God doing the mm-hmm. things that they're supposed to do, and the altar servers. You know, and and it it all leads to. That encounter with something, like you said, that wounds the heart so deeply we can't even express ourselves, but we hope to stay in that moment. But an added element of this, and, and I would love to hear how you can relate this to visual art, because I, I think there is something there. Uh, but an element in the liturgy and an element in our lives that we desperately need is silence. Mm-hmm. And that there's a beauty, and Colonel mm-hmm. Robert Surad, uh, you know, can't recommend enough his book on uh, the, the power of silence against the dictatorship of noise. Um, but in the in the context of worship, particularly, mm-hmm. there's moments in which silent, you know, reflection are necessary yep. to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Just as upon the first time I saw, or you know, went to Rome and saw the Pieta, the real Pieta, yeah, 
I just like, huh? I, we had a little, uh, a nice but very fake plaster one in my home parish, and <laughs> this is the real deal. Like, there it is. Oh, my gosh. You know, and that movement. But in but in art, there's, I, I, I think in visual art particularly, there's a, a use of silence or muted color mm-hmm. maybe. That, I'm just curious if you can kind of tell us a little bit about that, if that's something you've thought about in this whole role of your job as a, a sacred artist in the life of the church. Sure, yeah. Um, one of the things I think that artists have utilized over over time is this kind of a, a similarity, but also a dissimilarity. So like in the in the uh, in the liturgy, um, th- there's also often a veiling that goes on. Mm. Uh, so in the Eastern liturgy, there's an icon str- screen. So we veil the senses in order to get us to pay attention to something. Well, in visual art, it's the same thing. I mean, uh, you look at all these sculptures that Michelangelo did. He's using, uh, you know, basically marble, which is not realistic. You know, the Oof. color of marble is not realistic. Well, what that does is it it takes away one of our senses in order to in order to focus on one another characteristic so we can focus on um the form of the object then the uh the unity of that entire sculpture right Mm. Uh, of the michelangelo or the pieta um that unity of color draws us into that um the the order that the artist is wishing to convey so yeah it's a cool thing when we start to really kind of dive deep and i'm I'm curious. I, I'm a big fan of Bishop Barron's Word on Fire Institute, and uh, mm-hmm. pay attention to you know for years been reading, listening, uh, watching, and and I remember it's gosh, I guess it's been about ten years now uh, that the Catholicism series came out, and mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I was in seminary at the time, and you know grinding away at 21 hours of grad school. It's just like, well, I don't have time for this, but <laughs> I got time for YouTube every day. Uh, so you know they released these little seven minute clips or three minute clips, and I remember thinking, there's something different about this whole production, and, yeah. and I I don't think I could, could have put my finger on it then, but now I see that one of the great things. He, he wanted to do, and, and he's consistently talked about this uh, in his work as an evangelist for the church and for the beauty of Christ, is that if we're going to do something, we need to do it well, and we need to point towards the, the, the one who created all beauty, the one who is beauty unto himself. And so that series, if you watch it, the cinematography, just the, the visuals are all so overwhelmingly beautiful. Yeah. But you know, thinking about that experience of, okay, here's a video series that's extremely catechetical, um, that, that its purpose is really to inform and also form through, mm-hmm. through the experience of beauty. When you're working with sacred art, you know, that you're, you've been commissioned to do a few pieces of particularly sacred art and some pieces that are more broadly religious art, um, what what goes into that for you from a, a spiritual perspective? Because it may be helpful for our, our listeners to think about, like, how do they approach the beautiful in their own interior life? If mm-hmm. you don't mind, I mean, sure, yeah. Uh, well, I see the vi- the visual arts of the church. We have this beautiful tradition mm-hmm. in in the in the church, and uh, one thing I realized as I was trying to produce religious works was that just as we have a magisterium of the church or a tradition of the church of teachings, there's also a visual and artistic tradition that we can draw from. And uh, these are expressions of the teachings of the church. So um, so artwork are done around the, uh, for instance, by one of my favorite artists, Fra Angelico, who was a Dominican. Uh, oftentimes you'll find themes that he's drawn from the philosophy of uh, Thomas Aquinas or the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas. You're mm-hmm. like, wow. <laughs> um, so whenever, uh, whenever I'm doing a work of art, I always go back to the tradition of the greatest works of art in the church. I'm drawing from that tradition. And I'm also, I'm researching it and I'm praying about it too. I, I tr- I'm trying to uh, absorb the teachings of the church as I'm looking at this artwork so those are really, really important. And just, you know, uh, also just being okay with, uh, with 
where we are in this age. I've, I l tend to look at all the artwork, but I'm also a, you know, I'm a contemporary person. Uh, that doesn't mean I do contemporary art for the church. <clears throat> uh, all the sacred art that I do has to be in conformity with the liturgy. That is what it is for. At the same time, um, our, uh, some of the art that we have in our tradition uh, does not uh, speak as potently as it does to people today. Um, mm. And that's why it's always great to get new voices in there if they are, you know, thinking about the tradition and they have the competent craftsmanship and skills to execute something that um, we want to strive to to uh, towards that excellence mm -hmm. um, of craftsmanship that we've the church has had in the past. I mean, um, so there's an element of this too. It is very popular in the. The Second Vatican Council, one of the elements of uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium that people kind of seized on without, I think we can say with some confidence, without a lot of deep reflection was in the element of enculturation. Uh, to take the, 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 the elements of the culture that the, that the Christian, you know, good news that the Christian church is encountering, you know, we go into a pagan culture or a, 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 a non-Christian culture, what, what do we see there that is beautiful? And, and good and true and, and how do we then let that inform the, the the liturgical spaces of the churches in those places but, but one of the bad habits that kind of happens with that is that you know even I, I'll be honest with you in, in the most recent synod we saw uh, elements of enculturation that were, were not truly consistent with the principles of the liturgy that are not truly consistent with the principles of the sacred tradition um, and, and so we got away uh, we, we have a tendency to get away from the anchor and, and yeah. kind of just go fleeing and, and chasing after these kind of things that appeal to us. So, Doug, I, I, I wanted to kind of transition back to you for a few minutes. That again, you work in in a capacity that's very unique within the life of the church, where you're traveling from place to place. You're you're largely you're doing you know men's conferences, family conferences, sometimes and youth conferences and as you alluded to there there's sometimes the competition with the the band you know it's not mm -hmm. even called it's not sacred music they're a band right. but but <laughs> how do you, how do you you know you, as a man who's teaching the truth and trying to you know live a good example by what you say and what you do but how do you try to incorporate beauty into your your daily living of the good news um, cultural mm -hmm. you know how's culture influenced you uh, well, I try to watch YouTube every day, of course. That's yeah. an important thing. Uh, I'm just kidding about that. It's just I don't. Um, the rosary would be my first. My first immediate answer is the rosary. The, the beauty of the devotion of the rosary. And then, you know, as a person goes through, their, goes through the journey and dives into what the rosary is all about, studying it, reading about it, praying it, praying it, praying it, looking at beautiful images from when... You know, my kids were little, and my wife and I are teaching them the rosary. We had the little book with the 8 by 10 pictures of each mystery, mm -hmm. and they would take turns. You know, who, who gets to turn the page? And sometimes they kind of, ah, it's my turn, it's my yeah. But even those little images, so you're constantly bringing the connection of the prayer and the devotion of the rosary into the beauty of the sacred art that goes with this, and the beauty of the writings of the saints from a... Maximilian, St. Maximilian Kolbe to St. Louis de Montfort um, to St. John Paul II, more, more modern times, uh, you know, just the, the, the beauty of, of all these pieces coming together. So for me, in traveling around and seeing a lot of competition, if you will, with beauty, and some that is just downright, look, this is just ugly. There's mm. a lot of ugliness out there. Um, the, the, the beauty of the rosary and everything that, that involves around the rosary and what the rosary can do to you to really consume your heart, it brings you to the most beautiful human being ever created by God. That's Our Lady. Mm. And everything pointed to the beauty of her. And then she, of course, points to the beauty of her son. Mm -hmm. You know, And so to me, that's, that's my anchor. Mm. No matter where I am or what's going on in the world is that rosary. That rosary because it involves more than just the beads on the cord, or mm -hmm. the, string, or the string of the chain. It is what it is all about. And so that, that's, that's my immediate answer, Father, is the devotion of the rosary and everything that it involves, because it, it, it really sums up stepping into the streets of Jerusalem, stepping into to the Bethlehem, to 
to Calvary, to the coronation of Mary in the end. Right. It, the beauty of all of this is just transcendent, transcendental. It just it lifts us up. It, right. It, it brings it, us out. Elevates. Yes. Brings us out of ourselves. And that's a that's a, one of the great things that I, I think about the Rosary and in my own reflections is thinking about times where chaos kind of reigned maybe in my life um you know not always making good moral decisions maybe just kind of intellectually being a little dim mm-hmm. uh, i think particularly of you know about seven to twenty no uh <laughs> yeah but uh <laughs> but there was that anchor in in the mass of course uh of being before our lord in the eucharist but the rosary became more and more consistently a, a source of peace for me and, and prayer and, and something you're alluding to that I think is very important is that it, it, it actually is a beautiful encounter. Um, I'm thinking today of we're recording uh, on your birthday, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> 29 never looked so great. Thank you. Thank you um, very much. Take a lot but, of collagen is what I do. <laughs> and deadlifts, apparently. And deadlifts, but, uh, yeah. but today in Washington, D.C., uh, mm. you know, hundreds yeah. of thousands of people are peacefully marching for an end right. to the scourge of abortion right. in, in the United States of America. But one of the th- I've been seven times in my life to the March for Life in Washington, D.C., and what are you doing most of the time? You're praying the rosary. Mm. It's, a, it's just an amazing thing. Hundreds of thousands of kids from all over the country, what are they doing? 90% of that walk, they're not talking, they're not right. yelling, they're certainly not throwing things, they're not you know, saying terrible things to people, they're prayerfully and peacefully meditating on the life of Christ and the yeah. rosary. And there is something profoundly beautiful about that that calms the heart, helps you to see what's real, helps you to see the goodness of God. And so, and, and, and the rosary, is it's, you just describe it, it's synonymous with the pro-life movement. Yeah. I mean, how many times any of us have ever stood in front of an abortion mill on a sidewalk, you know, wanting to counsel someone or hold a sign, and, and the rosary is one of those those staples that we're it's constantly like hanging off the to. finger. Exactly, right? you know, it's, it's always someone's got a rosary. You can see as you're driving by, <laughs> it is synonymous with with the, with the spiritual battle. And there's something beautiful about engaging in the spiritual battle, um, because you know, you know what it is all about. It's about the beauty of saving the soul, the beauty of the soul, and mm-hmm. the beauty of, of of a soul before the beatific vision for all eternity. It's it is unspeakably beautiful, so we should just stop for a moment. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to just add to that that, I mean, what you were talking about, Father Brown, about culture and what you're talking about, the beauty of the rosary. Well, a lot of the, well, pretty much all of the great works of art um, done by the church uh, throughout the centuries is a meditation on these mysteries mm. of Christ his life and the church. Um, I mean, how many fantastic churches are named after Our Lady? Mm. Um, Schott Cathedral, um, you know, it can go on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And yet this this meditation on uh, the transcendent, on God, has inspired just so much beauty. So. Mm. That's a great point. That yeah. kind of leads us into this this kind of last part of the conversation I want to have this afternoon is, you know, we're we're I th- I think keenly aware that we live in a, a a banal culture that is is grasping for beauty. I mean, in a in a real sense, just look at you know look at a magazine. Uh, there's some almost inevitably some ideal form of the most beautiful person. That's kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of a constant theme that you see. Um, there's an idea that that we need to work towards this beauty, but at the same time, we we construct strip malls that are just just miserably boring, <laughs> tan concrete buildings. Um, kind of a you know alluding again, Bishop Barron talking about tan Catholic you know, tan Catholicism, like this kind of just blah um, experience of the faith, and, and and it's reflected even in the structures, literally, quite mm-hmm. literally, of our of our faith. But there's signs of hope, and, and I you know. To, to turn away a little bit from from the banal and the, the rough and the brutal and 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 to really look at what's happening in the life of the church. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm constantly um, thankful that I have the job I have working in the institute because I I'm a when I walk into this building, uh, it's a pretty outside looking in. It's a boring business building, um, but then I get in here and, and, you know, I get to turn and see these works of beauty all around me that kind of draw me back into, oh, yeah, the reason you're here is to, to serve Christ and to, you know, teach him to the world. But I want to ask you guys 
in your experiences, you know, recently in, in the church, what are some of those touch points that you see as signs of hope for restoring beauty, not just in the liturgy, but in the world, you know? I see no hope, Father. It's, <laughs> it's all for naught. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just 29 kidding. years of wisdom. <laughs> That's it. I'm 29 today. And uh, no, you know, for me, uh, and, and I say this all the time. I mean, I talk about when I travel for 30 years. This is my 30th year pretty much, or just over 30 years now. I've been doing that for 35 years, traveling for 30 all over the country and other countries. And I bring oftentimes a message of the reality of our Blessed Mother coming to the world. I talk about church-approved apparitions and the prophecies of chastisements. I talk about the, the, the warning of, in Fatima that there would be a second world war and in Our Lady of Cabijo in Rwanda of the genocide where she showed the children visions of the genocide that took place 12 years later. Uh, nearly a million people died in, in three months. These are brutal, brutal messages, hard for people. But there's a reason why heaven is giving them to us because of the seriousness of our time. So all that being said, um, if I didn't have hope, I wouldn't be out spreading these messages. I wouldn't be talking about it. Because the hope always resides in the fact that every time Our Lady comes and brings these messages, she's still saying the same thing over and over. If you turn your ways, if you repent, you come back to my son, he can make all new again. I mean, there's such a power, powerful, beautiful aspect to those messages because they are about what God can do to a heart that cooperates with grace. And there's beauty to that. Mm. So the points of hope that I see in the world today are... Everywhere I go with these messages, people are always coming up saying, I needed to hear this, or thank you for this. Yes, it was hard. Oh, my goodness, I feel like i got to go home and have my final meal because we're, we're done. <laughs> but I'm going to pray my rosary on the way. No. But, you know, there's this, this something, this, this deeper response in many hearts. It shakes them up a little bit, but then they say, yes, I, I need to respond. Hmm. And to me, that's the hope. The hope is the human heart um, in that moment of grace where they say, yes, I need to make the turn. I need to turn the corner. I need to take the steps this direction because this direction has been destructive and chaotic. And, and to me, that is a powerful, powerful hope. And, and as the line gets more clearly drawn in the sand as we see it in our, in our society, whether it's politically, whether it's within the church, and we know there's, there's upheaval everywhere in these areas, um, there are still so many people like here, St. Philip Institute, what Bishop Strickland is trying to do, and, and voices out there in various places that are just, they're, they're rolling up the sleeves, they're hunkering down, they're doubling up, and they're still moving forward. They're still taking ground. They're storming beaches, taking the hill, however you want to refer to it. To me, that's the hope, the human heart responding, and that's one of the most beautiful things I think that's out there, yeah. is someone cooperating with grace mm. and, 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 and making those, those changes and taking those steps to do the right thing. Well, that's inspirational for me i would think the the witness of just a beautiful saintly person you know that we we encounter those people in our lives and well working with you father brown nah, you just nah. described yourself there don't nah. you think robert you're too kind but <laughs> we got those sweet daily mass uh ladies who come in and mm. you know they're oftentimes elderly um their bodies show mm. the the wear and tear but that beautiful example that they're, they they're relentless aren't they yeah they absolutely are it's like rosary adoration mass yeah, i'm here you can't stop me that's right i can barely walk but you can't stop you me can't stop me and that is that's a that's a, such an uplifting <laughs> yeah thing it is to that but i uh yeah i i'm thankful to god for it's a weird way of saying this but i think the the fire at notre dame stirred something up mm. and a lot of people's hearts even i would say in a sense it's a it's an evangelical moment for the world um, because that beautiful church has been there for 800 some odd years and it, you know, it's gotten lost in a sense. It's a, a microcosm, but it's a kind of a reflection of the macrocosm of, of the loss of faith in France and, and, and a secularization of the Western culture. But what did we see? We saw, you know, all over the news. I mean, it was, it, it, I, when I first, like, I remember seeing it and I was like, did, was there a terrorist attack? You know, just kind of all the terrible thoughts go through my mind. You realize it's a fire. It's probably an electrical fire. They're doing some um, renovations and, and kind of some repair work. But to see the way the world kind of stopped for that, that little bit and acknowledged we were losing something that's mm -hmm. important something very important to the culture 
of the world and, and to see you know international leaders lamenting through Twitter or whatever you know just the, the loss of this this national and international treasure and then the response in the weeks following of not only the financial generosity of so many people but scholars atheists skeptics you know people across the board and then you know diehard believers don't change it mm. when we restore it there's there's a beauty there that needs to remain, mm-hmm. and so it it was a touch point for me, and, and we'll we'll wait and see. I, I think Emmanuel Macron's really gung ho to get it done in the next like five years, which is insane because it took how many <laughs> like hundred years or pl- plus to to actually build the thing. But the idea that instead of creating something new in our own image and likeness, the 21st century man, the enlightened you know right. post Christian culture. Even he, as president of that 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 country, is saying, "No, we we're not going to touch that. That this is for Our Lady. It's for the faith, and it's a great monument to that beauty and that culture of you know the Christian faith." So uh, that's a point of hope for me, Robert. I'm kind of curious for you if there's something in recent times or something you know a group of people you know that are inspiring you that are giving you some conscientiousness of all right yeah there, there are beautiful things happening yeah, yeah, yeah let me guess it's the wednesday night workouts with the guys and tyler right <laughs> he's, yes he's coming to him now father we have well proportioned pecs okay now, so. yeah, we'll get these, <laughs> yeah. these things in shape get the abs yes. right. <laughs> um i just wanted to comment you know on what you said father braun is it's it's um when when humanity is ordered towards God that um, are who is beyond all things. It's the greatest possible good that draws up the human spirit um, to do amazing things. And mm. I think that is what the testament of what everyone, why, why great works of art draw all humanity together. It's because it, we not only celebrate when we give glory to God, we not only celebrate God, but we also, in a certain sense, we're saying we're awesome too. You know, yeah, like God, yeah. we're redounding <laughs> you know, we're, to His glory. Yeah, exactly. So people look at these amazing feats that humanity has done, and and we do need to be reminded of that. So, um, where I see hope, I see a lot of uh, younger families um, in within the Catholic world returning and desiring uh, a. Uh, sacred spaces, beautiful places. Um, mm-hmm. They want great works of art in their churches. They want to support those things. Um, they don't want gutted amphitheater churches. Um, they want beautiful music. They want beautiful liturgy. And I think uh, that that gives me hope. These younger families may not have the money to put it there because they're having all these kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I see hope there. Um, in the next few decades to come, um, the other thing is uh, is just on the um, on the uh, in the arts field. Um, one of the places that I trained was a classical atelier, um, where I actually avoided getting a master's program in order to learn. Uh, I I went to a private studio to study um, the masters, and so mm. you know we're drawing from the tradition of art in general, you know, things started back in the Renaissance up until the 19th century, we're rediscovering that tradition. And I've seen a little bit of a, uh, of a resurgence in that field. So people are paying attention to the craftsmanship. People aren't settling for just the banal anymore. Yeah. They want beautiful objects. Right. Um, so. We don't want fakes. That's uh, I think that's one of the big things that becomes important, too, is that, you know, we can a master copy of a, a great work, which I, you've done, yeah. is is absolutely beautiful. That's something that's good and true. A, a fake, when I say that kind of kind of word, when I say that phrase, is uh, the the kind of cheap facsimiles that that unfortunately we often run into. You know, I as a as a priest and as you know a, a guy who puts money in the basket. You know, people this priest. Yeah, I give money. Uh, I I tithe because I believe that this is where the first fruits of my work should go. Um, to invest in things, not just you know beautiful images, beautiful statues, um, to make sure we have a, a well-trained uh, music, you know musician who can help us to bring out the beauty in our in our sacred music. Uh, 
sacred vestments, um, vessels, you know, mm-hmm. all these ways in which the, the gauges are, are, the senses are engaged. Um, it's important that we realize that as St. John Vianney said, that nothing is too much for God. Like we can give of ourselves in that way to help create more beautiful things yeah. um, for, for the worship of God and for our own sanctification and edification. And so to encourage, you know, if we got any grandmas and grandpas listening, like <laughs> maybe you're wondering what can I get my five-year-old uh, grandson this Christmas? Buy him a beautiful master copy of sacred art uh, or a nice print of an image that really has been a source of inspiration for yourself. And so that kind of leads us into the, into the chariot moment. You know, we, uh, <laughs> on this podcast, we want to kind of keep tying it back into St. Philip, the evangelist and, and how he described, you know, discussed the scriptures with the Ethiopian. And so each of you, I just want to ask what's something practical that you, that, you know, our average listener can do, uh, to help them understand this this depth of beauty that we need to kind of engage more. So I'll go to you first, Doug. Well, first thing comes to my mind is pray the rosary. Yeah. I got to say that I really do, you know, because there's an effort behind that. Um, I have another answer, but that's the first thing: is deepen your prayer, mm-hmm. deepen your prayer, have that communication with beauty himself, truth himself, God. Um, understand that that we order the mind and the heart the right way. The, we're, we're liberated from really the horror of ugliness and, and the brutality that, that we're seeing in our world in so many levels. So deepen your prayer, especially the rosary. Go to the most beautiful human being that God ever put on this earth, and that's Our Lady. Um, and, and hang out with St. Joseph, too. I say that as respectfully as, as possible, is have a devotion to St. Joseph, too. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible example of what a, a beautiful leader of a family can be and should be. So. Absolutely. Start there. From there, surround yourself with things. Make good choices. If you're watching a TV program and it starts getting, you know, or a movie, you know, this is really getting into some real serious ugliness. The language, the behavior, the theme of it. And there's no redemptive quality. You know, you're watching mm. a World War II program, you know, and it's actually pointing out something that happened and there's some redemption behind that. That's one thing. But a lot of our, our entertainment in general, our music, our TV, our movies, our YouTube videos have an ugliness to them and a distortion to them. I think of, I think it was Mozart who had said, um, I remember the quote right, that I will never play a disordered chord progression because it's it's too insulting to mm. to to man's mind and heart, mm. you know. And so there's something about really bringing into your mind and your heart through your eyes and your ears things that truly speak of order and beauty, so that it doesn't kind of twist and turn the way the mind is supposed to function according to God's design. That's a very practical application yeah. of make good choices what you bring into your head yeah. and your heart. But start with deep prayer. That'll actually help the second part of making good choices with who you entertain yourself with. That's perfect. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. What about you, Robert? Um, practical recommendation, getting into the chariot. Well, just practically speaking, like I think that if there is beautiful artworks in your church, take your kids up to those images, pray the devotions. Um, I know I take my son up to pray in front of St. Jude, the St. Jude statue every time. His name is Jude. Um, but use them. I mean, use the artwork to pray. Mm. And if you're not doing that, I mean, you're not, God's not going to criticize you for, you know, getting out of the pew and <laughs> doing some devotional during the Mass or something mm-hmm. like that. Engage, you know, engage your kids, engage your mind and your your spirit in looking at these artworks and using them. Um, and then uh, practically, uh, just another practical note is, if if we are if we do truly value beauty in the church we are going to uh we we are going to speak that we value it um with our pocketbooks or i mean our, truthfully you know yeah. and we do need to pay for it and uh th- whether you know duncan stroik uh the professor out of notre dame he t- he talks about uh the the parish having a 10% tithe towards sacred art and architecture and stuff like that. So whatever the church, the parish collects, they put 10% to, to artworks. I don't, I mean, I don't know what the solution is, but basically, um, you know, the priests and the parishioners have to be on board Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. wanting and desiring beautiful things in their church, beautiful art objects. And, uh, to be honest, um, you know, we're not going to get it if we don't pay for it because no one's going to uh, 
no no uh, artist can survive right without us paying for it right we're just not gonna there's short, no demand for it short so. of divine intervention in miraculous yeah. uh ways the uh you know the artist still needs to eat so um <laughs> I, two practical things one a great book uh, it's called the way of beauty by david clayton you can find it on amazon i believe it's uh, angelico press uh but the way of beauty by david clayton and the other one is to once again uh, kind of wrapping the, these ideas up is to look, to not just glance, but to look at something when it strikes you as being beautiful. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your your you know toddler's smile. Maybe it's your grandmother's uh, you know tender caress. You know just to look and, and to appreciate. But we, we have a bad habit of just moving on right away, mm-hmm. just on to the next thing. But gaze and wonder and awe at the one who gives us the reason to wonder. So we're very thankful to you, Robert, for joining us this afternoon. Um, I want to just point out real quick for everybody, you can go to www.stphilipinstitute.org. You can check out our store. A lot of Robert's work is there uh, for purchase. Uh, there's beautiful prints that, that are available. And if you wanted to commission him to do something original, he'd, he'd be glad to. He's done, uh, I, I worked with him on a number of things, and it's, it's great work. Um, if you've got questions, uh, you maybe want to follow up with us, uh, you can try us at podcast at stphilipinstitute.org, and we'll be glad to um, answer as we can. And if you have ideas for shows also, please provide those and be sure to review us on iTunes or wherever you listen. And we give thanks to God again for your birthday today, Doug. Thanks for your service to (laughs) the church. Um, And we'll turn now to our bishop and ask for his apostolic blessing. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.